Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is Jason Freed. He is the founder and CEO of Basecamp and the author of four books, including Rework, and It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. He thinks dramatically different and has been an inspiration for me and our company for many years. Today, we're going to hear how he's created an amazing workplace and culture by challenging the status quo and putting his people first. Jason, welcome to Business Done Differently, my friend. Great to be here. Thanks, Jesse. Fired up. I know we just briefly chatted, but I want to make sure these facts are still true because I want to set the premise of how you guys are so dramatically different. You don't have any salespeople. Correct. You don't do any advertising. Mo- essentially, no. We're, we're, we're dabbling, but Are essentially, dabbling. no. Yeah. You don't have goals. Correct. You don't focus on growth. No. All right. And you've had almost 20 straight years of profitability. Correct. Yes. Love it. Amazing. <laughs> I probably could keep going on all those nodes, but I, I want to start here as we get into the team. You said a strong stand is how you attract super fans and you got to draw a line in the stand. What's your stand at Basecamp? Well, I think. We have many. I say we have many stands, but I think you know fundamentally we're trying to be about enough, which is like let's build a company with the right amount of people. Let's build a product that reaches the right type of customers. Let's not be obsessed with growth. Let's not be obsessed with numbers. Let's not be obsessed with beating last year every year. It's like not about that kind of thing for us because those are all like growth goals, and I think they they drive people a little bit crazy. And they're also like let's face it, arbitrary. You kind of make them up. You're like let's. Get 23, let's go 25% more next year than we did. It's like, why not 23.2? Why not 24.9? Why not 27? It's like, you just make it up. And so we just try not to make things up. We just try to do the best work that we can and let the cards fall where they may. And basically, aside from that, you know, the other thing I think that's really important about us is that independence is the most valuable thing that we have. Hmm. We don't have investors. We don't, we're not ever going to go public. We're not interested in selling the business. We answer to ourselves and to our customers, and that's it. So we make things... We want to be able to do whatever we want to do, however we want to do it, without having to justify anything, without having to, to show numbers that show it's going to work. or are, We just do what we think is right. And those are the kinds of things that fundamentally underpin all the other things that we do here. You know, I love it so much because we get asked the question, well, why don't you guys go to the minor leagues? Why don't you go professional? It's like, because there's all red tape there. You know, for instance, you know, our players go on dates with fans during games. Our players dance during the games. You can't do that at the other level. So, you know, trying to scratch my own itch and do what I want. Same thing with you. You don't have investors. You can solely focus on what's best for your customers and what's best for your people. Yeah. And by the way, it's what's best for my people first. So... You have to make... Obviously, we care a lot about customers, but you have to make sure that the internal culture in your company is, is solid first, that people want to be here, that people are doing challenging work, that people have autonomy and the space to do their best work. Because that's the only way you can do things well for customers. You can't have a rotting core and then also like put on a happy face and, and have everything great for on the outside. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. You need to have two layers of solid, strong experiences. You know, So... Yeah, I think it's really important for us just to make sure that, um, like you said, you know, I don't want gatekeepers. I don't want to have to ask permission, have dances at your, you want your players to dance. Like, if you have to ask someone, they're going to say no. They will say no. I don't want to be in a situation where someone else is going to tell me, no, you can't do this thing, this idea, this, this hunch, this thought that you have. And that doesn't mean everything we do works, but it means everything we do, we get to do because we want to take a shot at it. And that's kind of what is the most exciting thing about working here, I think, or at least my, my job here. I, I love it on your website. You say, giving a damn. You know, yeah. That's what it's about. Just giving a damn about people and how you treat them. And has that just become kind of fundamental? Like, hey, this is who we are? Yes. I think 
you got to know yourself. You got to know what drives you. You got to know what you care about. You got to know what makes you happy, what doesn't, and not like what other people. And especially in our industry, there's a lot of following going on. Like people, I want to be like this company. I want to be like that company. And it's okay to have that set up as an aspirational sort of direction at a fundamental level, but it, you can't want to be them only. Like you might want to be like them, yes. you still got to be like yourself. And I think that having that self-awareness is important because you can chase things that don't make you happy because they made someone else happy and you think they're going to make you happy and they don't. So you got to really be careful about that. So yeah, getting to know us and what we want, what's important to us first is the only way I think to really be able to do something for the long term. Because look, in the short term, you can fake whatever you want. Mm. But the truth has a way of ironing out the fakes over time. And so I think you know we've been in business for 20 years. Mm. Any company that's been around for a long time is probably pretty true to themselves. I think the companies that go out are the ones that are trying to be something that they're not because it's very hard to sustain that kind of approach. 100%. You say, you say scratch your own itch. And I think that's so important. You're not trying to be like anyone else. Like, do you like it? Like for me, it was always like, I get bored at baseball games. How do I make it nonstop fun? I get nickel and dime at baseball games. How do I include all the food? And for you, you were your own customer. And the same thing you think, not just about your customer, but how, what's the work environment I want to be a part of? Yeah. This is my, like, I own the company, but it's also my day job, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to go work at the company that I want to work at. I want to create a job that will inspire me and that will keep me interested in my career and my progression for 20, 30, 40 years. And so you've got to create that environment that you want to go work in. And so, yeah, like your examples are wonderful. And in our world, we build the products that we need. So we built Basecamp because we needed Basecamp. And we're building this new thing called Hey, which is a new email service because we feel like we need it. We're not happy with the way email works right now. And so we're always scratching our own itch first and recognizing that there's probably many people out there like us that have similar itches in similar places. You yeah. know? It's not everybody. We don't need to sell... We don't need to you know, have millions of customers. We have 50,000 customers or 100,000 customers. We can carve out a really nice business that does enough. It keeps us happy, keeps us doing what we're doing, keeps us profitable, and also makes a dent in a very small universe for the people who are like us. I love it. I love it. Again, you look at... I, I say start with the mirror moment. Look in the mirror. What are those things that frustrate you about what you're in, that industry, and what frustrates you as coming to work? And you know, I would say, nobody in the world wants to be managed. People want to be led. No one wants to be micromanaged in a certain sense. So don't do that. Like, Why do we do that? And it seems like we have such a similar mindset of that. And what I'm fascinated, Jason, is kind of going through a little of your progression on how you bring someone on board and what that looks like. So I know I want to get into the perks later because that's, that's speaking my language. But I want to go into like literally just building your team. And there's one thing that hit me. It's like, we're not a family. We're allies to families. We do treat each other like family. We're not a family. That's almost a starting point. Tell me how you use that as a, as a bridge to like start the hiring process with someone and bringing them on board. Yeah, well, step one is we only hire like one or two people a year. Sometimes there might be an outlier year we hire four, but yeah. like that's it. And so the point is, is that because we only hire a few, like one to two to three people a year, we can be very selective mm. and we can be very thoughtful about writing the job ad, which we might spend a month writing to just get it just right. Wow. It's very detailed, very, very extensive. It talks not about like, it's not about like the bullet points, like you need 12 years experience. You need, it's more about like, here's what your average day would look like here. Here's some things you might have done last week if you had this job, or here's some stuff you might do next week if you have this job. So it helps people really understand what the work is like and what the place is like and what the responsibilities might be. More so than like, did I check this box off my resume and this box and this box, you know? How long is that? How long is that job description that typically? It can be over a thousand words. 
I can email you one or send you one. It's really um, interesting. So it goes detailed yeah. into what a day in the life, really what they would be doing. Yes, yeah, very much so. And um, that's what we found to be the best way to really explain the job. Hmm. Otherwise, it's just like a title. And the problem with job... T- and we have job titles. But the problem with titles is that lead designer at one company might be different than lead designer at another company. And customer service rep might, at one company might be different than another company. And so you really have to say like, what does that mean? What would I be doing next week? What would I have done last week? What did someone in my position do today? That kind of thinking. And so that's where it all begins. Because you have to attract the right kind of people and you have to lay out a realistic position that people can see themselves in. And then it will attract the kind of people that want to do that work. And it will, will repel the kind of people who don't want to do that work. 100%. And so you got to start there. And then the other thing we do is we always have... I shouldn't say always. We always haven't. We do now for the past couple of years. We always put the actual salary in the job ad. So like people know exactly what they're going to get paid. There's no questions. So it's not like you negotiate or you, you interview someone, things are going fantastically. You spend three weeks interviewing them back and forth. And at the end, it's like this painful negotiation where you're, you're 20 grand, 30 grand away from each other. You can't meet in the middle and like it's over. And you're like, well, we just wasted all this time. We just lost this mm-hmm. great person. Like, Just lay it all out and be honest up front. So that's all of the other things we do. It has to start there. It has to be a solid foundation of honesty and truth and clarity. So we attract the right people. So once we do that, when we get down typically to the last few people, and this always depends on the job title, but the last few people are always then hired for one week on a contract basis to do a project for us. Mm-hmm. So let's say I'm hiring designers. I will hi- let's say we get down to five people. Each person will, will be paid 1500 bucks for one week's worth of work in spare time that they have to, to design, redesign a web page or a website or something that we say, hey, here's this thing. How would you make this better? And everyone has the same assignment. And the reason we do this is because we feel like you have to look at actual work to judge the work. If you look at resumes, people say like, oh, I, I you know, on the resume, it's like design Nike.com. It's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you were been part, part of, of that. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe you were part of it and that's legitimate, but you didn't yeah. like, I don't really know what you did. Like, so let's do a project together. And it's not just about the work because we know people have, have day jobs already. So like they only maybe have a few hours to squeeze in to do this project. It's about talking it through afterwards. So like, why'd you do this? And what were you thinking about when you do this? And I might push back on an idea and I want to see how they take feedback and how they give me feedback. And we try and make things as real as possible. That's the best way to judge people. And I can go on and on. But We'll, we'll, we'll go through that. But I, yeah. I love it. You said hire for work, not the resume. And yeah. for us, we, we asked for three things, a video cover letter, because we're outward facing. We need to see your personality, your enthusiasm. Yes. One page that you fit our core beliefs. And then the future resume, not what they've done in the past, but what they want to do in the future. Because that that's cool. growth, their hunger. That's our three steps. The challenge that I'm having, which I love, you look at these projects, Jason. What would you suggest someone a project that's not digital that they actually face people? I want to see if we hire, we hire 150 game day staff that interact with 4,000 fans. I want to see how they are with people. Could you, I mean, I, this is kind of off the book. Is there a project that you could think you could have them do? Well, it depends on the role. So I would think a little bit about the role. Like, do you have, g- give me some examples of maybe particular I mean, just roles. any concessions, serving beer, ripping. All right, concessions. Let's, do, let's go with concessions, right? This is not my idea. This is someone else's idea, but I've always loved this idea. I would ask each person, let's say you had five finalists. Yes. Okay. I would say like, here's a thousand bucks or whatever it is. Here's a budget. Who can sell the most water? So like water bottles. Yes. So you go out and like someone's got 500 bucks and like they, they might buy a bunch of water. They might buy a little bit of water. They might like, you kind of can see how they, how they sell water. Who can sell the most water 
with a given budget and generate the most revenue from that water? That's kind of the really question. So you've, everyone's got 500 bucks. You can buy as much water as you, as you want or as little water as you want. At the end, you look at how many bottles sold and how, what was the revenue. And you ask them to document the process and maybe have a film crew kind of hanging out with them, but they just go out in the street and like start selling water. And you can see how they interact with people. You can see the pitches they make. You can see where they go, how they choose to decide how to sell the water, where to sell the water. Do they go on a street corner? Do they go in the lobby of a business? Do they go outside of a school? I don't know, wherever they could go. But like, what are the decisions they're making? Why are they making these decisions? And what are their interactions like with individual people? Okay. And it's not necessarily that whoever sells the most Whoever generates the most revenue is the winner. Yeah. It, but that's kind of like what you set out. So there is some sort of a target here. But what you might like is you might like the, th- the person who came in third there, but love their personality and love their integrity. And the person who sold the most might have cheated or might have yes. lied about it. And then you're like, you sold the most, but I don't want you. They were like a car salesman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, so you just look for the... That's how I would simulate like what it's like to sell concessions at a, at a baseball game. But you're right. Anybody who gets a job, they should do a project because you don't know how they are until they actually do work. I think that's so fascinating. You know, I, I interviewed a, a woman, Valerie Washington at the Charlotte airport and she sings at a register, sings the whole time. And she, I, I interviewed her and she said, I used to be in a bathroom and I was only making $3.13 an hour. So I started singing and just greeting people. The minimum I made was $400 in tips because I was singing things like, don't worry, pee happy now. And she was like, just having fun. I was like, I love that because you made it fun and people rewarded you for it, which was really cool. Yeah. I want to keep moving. Sorry, you got me going on the side there. The offer. How do you make the offer special? We're big into thinking, how do you make it a celebratory moment? I don't think we're probably as good at that as, as you are. Um, okay. I think, that, I think um, you know, one of the things we do is after someone has accepted the offer, let's just start. So the, the offer is probably pretty straightforward here. Okay. But after someone's accepted the offer, what we do in Basecamp, so Basecamp's what we use. Yeah, we do too. Currently. <laughs> we write up a message. The person who hired the person writes up a message introducing this new person. Now, this new person has not joined the company yet because they, you know, they might not join for a month or whatever. But they write, up, they write up why they picked this person and why they feel great about this person. Then everybody else in the company leaves a wonderful comment down below saying, looking forward to meeting you, uh, you know, Jamie. So excited to have you on board. Like, so we, there's like 50 comments below the write-up, which is really positive. And so, so this is when, before they started? So they, yes. they, the person who hired them does an introductory message, but they, they put them on the platform so they can already see it. No, not yet. Oh. So, so they do an introductory message, but everybody else in the company then says something really wonderful down below. And then the first day this person joins up, they're added to Basecamp and given a link to this message, which gives, is a very warm welcome from 50, 50 coworkers or 56 yeah. coworkers saying, I like, can't wait to have you. Can't wait to have you. This is going to be great. I can't wait to meet you. And so that first day, they're hit with this overwhelming like, sense of, of welcome from all the people who work here. Now, the thing is, is we're remote. So most people don't see each other. So this is kind of our best. We could do videos. There's other things we could do. But I think it, it actually be quite tedious to watch 50 videos where, where someone could act for us, at least, where someone could actually instead just read this really long write-up. They could print it out. They could keep it. They could have it on and that's kind of how we make the welcome really warm initially. Then we fly them into a city, Chicago, typically, which is where our headquarters are. And a bunch of people come in and we hang out and we have dinner and we have catch up over lunch. We walk to like kind of onboarding, the, joining the company. So there's a personal touch there. Even though we're remote, we always start out in person as, if we can. I love it. Um, so that's kind of how we do it. We're, we're probably not as, as um, 
enthusiastic, perhaps. We get a little, we get a little over the top, but yeah, that's that's who I we imagine. Are. So, yeah, silly string and parties—it's a whole other celebration. But I'm in culture. Yeah, message from the leader, though. I think that's so great because it builds also a recognition culture and also will develop respect from that person coming to learn from that that the person. And you call it—it's not a man. Like, is that their supervisor? Like, how do you word that? What's their terminology? Who writes that? Yeah, the, the kind of the team lead. So the team lead is like, let's say you're hired, you're hired for a design role. Like yes. Jonas would be the team lead on the design team. So he would write the thing. If you're being hired on support, Kristen would write that. Love if it. you're being hired on data, Jane would write that. If you're being hired on ops, we have different people writing these things. So it, it just kind of depends on, you know, if you're uh-huh. hired, hired for programming, someone else would write it. You know, it all depends on who the team lead is, right? So like Jeff is, is programming, Troy would be ops. It kind of just depends. And sometimes yeah. I'll write it. Sometimes Dave will write it. It just depends on... But it means a lot. It's a, it's a great welcome. I, I think it's, it's important. And then the onboarding process. I love you said, nobody hits the ground running. We always hope like you're going to hit the ground running. And that's such a great point. How do you make sure the onboarding process, I guess, hits their expectations and people feel not overwhelmed? They feel like they have a purpose. What does that look like for you guys? Yeah. So we have not always been good at this, but lately we've gotten a lot better. We actually write up a document for each person, basically like calling out basically uh, every 90 days, essentially for like starting up. Like what do we expect over the first 90 days? What do we expect over the first you know, six months? What do we expect over the first nine months to, to a year? And like the first nine, the first 90 days are like, just get to know us. We're going to get to know you. You get to know us. Yeah, you might jump in on a few projects, but the expectations are not like you're going to just hit it out of the park. It's not that. So you have like, low expectations for the first 90 days just to get them acclimated. Yeah, I'd say reasonable expectations. Okay. So, so it's more like this is mostly about getting to know the company, breaking some maybe bad habits that you had from working at other companies in other ways, just getting to know how we work, who works here, our methods, our, our, our ethos, that, that kind of stuff. Okay. You know, some people, depending on the role, get more involved quicker. Typically, if someone's joining like as a programmer, which is, you know, we already have a dozen programmers. So like, it's a little bit easier to get acclimated compared to someone who's starting up in a new position we've never had. So we just hired like a head of marketing. We've never had a head of marketing ever. And so like, this is a new role for us. We don't really know how it's going to go. We don't really know what, what it's going to be. So there's a little bit more of a slower ramp up in that kind of position because we don't have anything to model it on. Compared to like joining an existing team, which is a little bit easier, but still, we want to set expectations so there's no surprises. Yeah, so read up this document and give it to each person who's new. Like this is basically what we're expecting, roughly at these time frames. It's not like exact, but like roughly is what you should expect. When you bring in a new position you ever had before, I know you've probably done this before. Our challenge, the only turnover we've ever had, Jason, has yeah. been when someone came in from the outside and they didn't have a direct person helping them on their way. It was a brand new position, a director of events, director of so-and-so, and they were kind of just figuring it out as they went, and it was very tough for them. Have you figured out when you have someone in a new position that they don't have someone that actually knows how to do things, how that works well? It's been hard for us too. That's been our challenge as well. So we hired a, for example, a few years ago, we hired a COO for the first time. And she was wonderfully talented and great, but we'd never had a COO before. We didn't really necessarily know what a COO would do. What David and I, David's my business partner, we'd hoped that someone would take a little bit off our plates and kind of handle some more of the, the infrastructure and sort of the operations. Yes. And, but we didn't really know what that role was and, and it just didn't work out. Also, she'd come from much larger companies. Yes. So she worked like running a team of 400 and whatever. And we're like, we want this kind of experience here. And it turns out that she was wonderful, but it wasn't a great fit. And so after a year-ish, we had to let her go. And the same thing has happened in a few other positions where we hired someone for the first time. So there's always more risk involved. And I think the key is just to recognize that. It's almost impossible to get it to go away. 
Yeah. It's like, this is a harder role to hire for. It's a harder role to succeed in. It's a harder role to, to, for us to explain what we're expecting from somebody. It's more of a learning process. And it might take about a year to figure out if we're getting anywhere. So it's hard. I, I, I think the key though with all of these things is just being honest with the reality and going, we know that this is going to be challenging. So one of the things we don't talk about here at Basecamp much is certainty. We, don't, we talk about bets. We talk about risk. We talk about trade-offs. Nothing is certain. Yeah. And we just know that there's more uncertainty when you're hiring for a brand new position than there is hiring a programmer. We know what a great programmer is going to look like here. We know what a great designer is going to be like here. We know what a great customer service person is going to be like. We don't know what a head of marketing is going to look like. We don't know what a COO is going to look like. We wouldn't know what a CF... We don't have a CFO. You know, we don't know what those would look like. We have an idea, but we don't know. And we just need to ad- admit that. And that helps us all out, I think. Yeah. Well, when you're doing things that have never been done, especially in your field, that's what happens. In our, our field, we're doing things that haven't been done. We don't know what the answer is. I mean, Jason, right. we just eliminated all advertising from our ballpark. Literally every single ad, we're going an ad-free experience, which no other one's done before. We don't know what the outcome is. We think it's best for our fans. We don't think anyone comes to a ballpark and wants to be advertised to. But yeah. what you say, it's, it's so cool to be clear with your people. Hey guys, we think this is best. We hope this is best. But as Jeff Bezos, you mentioned, you know, he's a little part of you guys. And he said, the people that are right, you know, they often change their minds. Yeah. And so, By the way, I love that you did that. I mean, like the things that you, you guys are doing, everybody knows it's like, you got to figure out how to make the business out of it all work. But everyone knows like, that's what people want. Who wants to go to a ballpark and see a bunch of ads? Like nobody. Yes. Like I go to Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field for a long time here in Chicago didn't have advertising. Now they do. And you're like, eh, it's just not the same as it was before, you know? And, um, you know, in Wrigley Field for a long time, didn't have lights. And like, I think probably night games is probably maybe a good idea for them, probably. Yeah. But that um, made them they, different before. They were the, you had to go to the day games. You didn't right. get ads. And now they're becoming like everyone else. And I know there's pressures and I get it. And like, look, night games might be more accessible for more people because people have day jobs and they can't go during it. So like, I get all these. These are, again, yeah. these are all trade offs, right? And they've made some different trade offs. But you would be like, it'd be wonderful if you go back to Wrigley Field and there's no ads. It'd be amazing. It'd be amazing if somehow they could schedule with major leagues. Like, we're going to have no uh, night games for 2021. Like, is our 10th... I don't even know. This is not the right number. But like our 10th year, 10th year anniversary having lights or... Yeah. We're not going to do it for a year. We're going to so see if we can schedule around that. Like, that would be interesting and entertaining and different and fun. So I love hearing that you guys are just eliminating ads and doing all these other things that are, that are silly, like oh. including food. Who does that? Every, every single ticket includes all your food, your soda, everything. And so amazing. again, what we look at, what are those frustrating points? We scratch our own itch, just like you. What would be great for my workplace? I'm constantly thinking, like, we don't have any convenience fees, extra charges, ticket charges. We've made all shipping free. And again, it takes away short-term profits. We're still profitable. It takes away short-term profits, but to build long-term fans. And that's what you're doing. You're focused on long-term fans of not just your customers, but your people. Not only that, you're absolutely right. Here's the other thing. I think a lot of companies just try and squeeze an extra buck or two out of everybody, right? And how does it feel when they do that? You know, you know, it's like, come on, like, come on, you know? It sucks. It sucks. Nobody likes that. And so, yes, you're probably leaving money on the table, as are we all day long. And you know what? It's just fine as long as we have enough to be profitable and to do, cover our costs and to, to make what we need to make. And uh, you know we we're in a slightly different business. We have very high margins because we're a software business and everything. So I understand like margins are different in different businesses. And if you're, for example, a grocery store, like a friend of mine owns a grocery store down the street, and like grocery margins are really thin. So you really do have to be extra careful about certain things. But 
at the end of the day, if your business is, is made or, or if you make or break your business based on like trying to steal an extra buck or two out of someone for a convenience fee, you might as well not be in business at all. 100%. Right. I mean, what happened to Blockbuster? You know, what percentage right. of their profits were based on the late fees? It was crap. And so again, right. we try to put that and I think our company knows that. But I tell you, we've got a lot of inspiration from you because it's constantly looking at what's different and not just say, oh, that's an opportunity to make money. No, what's an opportunity to make a fan? Yes. A different mindset. And so we could go on a tangent for a while. But Let me ask you a question about this because this, this, like, the more I think about you guys, like, I'm sure there are parallels drawn with like the Harlem Globetrotters, right? Yes, a lot. And yep. did you guys take inspiration from their approach? Disney, P.T. Barnum, WWE, anything right. that's an entertainment, not a baseball focus. Right. So that's what I love about it. And this is something I think it's... I wonder. I was hoping you'd go there because people will ask me, like, where do you go for inspiration? Or what do you look at? And I try never to look at my own industry. Because my own industry is... like, If I just look at my own industry... like, If I want to get inspiration for an interface design, I should not go through the app store and look at other apps because then I'm going to design what they already have. Yeah. I look to architecture. I look to nature. I look to... To other, I look to retail. I look to other experiences to think of the think or book design, like other stuff that's way out of our realm. Yes. That's where you get the new ideas that you can bring in. That's how you can come come up with original ideas. Hundred percent. Yeah. So I love that you guys are looking all over the place. Well, again, that's where I don't think you learn from. Yeah. You, we go hotel industry, uh, carnival. Like we take our team, our staff, and this goes into perks a little bit. You know, we've surprised our staff with trips on cruises. We're going to Disney next week. Uh, we yep. surprised some bucket list trips. We sent our fans first director to Ireland with their dad. A fan, and so we understand this is great for them as people. Yep. But also, it's inspiration to see, wow, look at what they're doing here. How do we build that into a baseball experience and make it a great thing? So I think that's a segue. We could go there for a while. But the, sure. the, the perks, Jason, I am so fascinated by what you're doing as far as the perks and you've learned. And we're in the middle now. You know, Our company, I started 15 years ago. We're only going in our fifth season here in Savannah. You've learned things about cash and not doing cash and, and changing. Can you just tell your progression of the perks and what they've become to now? Yeah. I mean, when we first started, we had no perks. You make a salary and that was it, right? Eventually, when I get to the end of the story, you'll see we have a lot of perks. But people ask like, well, when, when should I do these things? When can I... It's like, when you can afford to. Don't, don't, do, don't put yourself out of business offering ridiculous things like we do. I mean, we can only do this now because we can afford to being in business for so long. But you know, we didn't have health insurance for a long time. We didn't have a lot of basics because we, we couldn't afford it. And also, frankly, hadn't even considered it. Like, a lot of these things we hadn't considered. But eventually, we, we, we st- I think the, the most interesting first kind of perk that we began to offer was, was the idea of four-day work weeks, which we started doing... I think we started doing them all year round at the point, but we decided eventually to do them in the summer. So let's focus on that. We work 32, roughly 32-hour weeks um, in the summers from May through September. And um, the idea behind that is that like, let's just see what happens. It's like, are we basically getting about the same amount of work done? <laughs> yeah, we're getting a little bit less. And it's a little bit harder, but what's the trade-off? Well, you get a three-day weekend in the summer. You can hang out with your family more. You can do things that you couldn't do. You can take yeah. a road trip that you couldn't take because the place you're going is eight hours away. And if you only had two days, you'd never be able to enjoy a day. Like You can do more things and that's worth it for us to encourage our employees to do more things in life and not just work harder or work longer. So 40 work weeks, um, that came up at some point. We've been doing that for a long time. We also, I think you alluded to this, we used to explore, we used to give cash bonuses. Yeah. And what we found was that, and they were, they were arbitrary. I'm like, we just said like, well, this year we had a good year. So like you get 10 grand or five grand or whatever it is. And the problem was, is that like, if you don't keep that up and you give less the next year, people see it as like getting less, even though it's free money. 
and it, it, we didn't realize it, but it caused all sorts of, of problems. Like, even though you're giving people more money than they would have normally made on their salary, if they got less of a bonus than the previous year, they're upset with it. It's just like it got messy. So we decided to stop doing that. Instead, we said, like, what can we do that's a reward for a great year um, that's not monetary? Because people, it's so easy to compare dollars. Yes. Under this year, 90 this year, oh, I, I made 10 less. Like, so we started giving away. First thing actually we did was we did this really beautiful um, kitchen knife with this guy named Kramer, Kramer Knives up in Seattle, who makes these knives by hand. Beautiful, cool. beautiful art. Takes a full day to make a knife. Wow. One cool. beautiful stuff. So we bought everyone a kitchen knife, like something that lasts forever. We wanted to make things and give people things that would last forever. Longevity, kind of, you know, a, a long term. So knives were one of those things. Eventually now what we do is every year we, um, we give away, um, we give everybody a wonderful trip to some really interesting place, we pay for it. So we do like a menu of trips. Like you could go to... Mor- this year, it was like Morocco and... Gosh, I remember all of them. Um, who, who selects them? Andrea, who runs our people ops group. Okay. Um, she picks the trips. And, um, but, but you can also choose your own adventure. So like if, you wanna, if you've always wanted to go to Tokyo and it's on the list this year, you know, it's basically it's 5,000 bucks budget per person. Okay. And we'll plan your trip to Tokyo for you. And if you want to stay longer and it costs more, you can pick up the difference, but we'll cover the first 5,000, that kind of oh. thing. So we do that. The other thing we do, I'll just mention one other thing is that we want to help people be more interesting people. So we will pay for, like a lot of companies will do continuing education. They'll pay for that, but they'll only do a continuing education like in your field. So if you're a programmer and you want to become a better programmer, the company will pay for that. But if you're a programmer and you want to learn how to play banjo, we'll pay for that. You know, if you want to learn how to fly a plane, we'll pay for, you know, partial pay for flight school. If you want to learn how to, you know, if you want to learn how to be a gardener and you want to go take botany classes or something, we'll, we'll, pay for that. If you want to take a poetry class, we'll pay for that. The point is, is that we want to help you do things that you want to do that you might not normally have done. And we want to encourage you to do that. So we'll cover it for you. So we're always trying to make people more interesting and, and give them opportunities to do things they might not normally do. So and what, what has been the response? I love this. What has been the response, especially like, are people learning some of these unique things? I mean, how often? Yeah. yeah, people take advantage of it. Definitely. Um, and there's other things we do too. People definitely take advantage of it. The trips have been like the things that I think really matter most for people because these are getting back to things that last forever, a memory, an experience, you know, either with your family or yourself or your partner or wherever you go and whoever you go with or a friend or family, whatever it is, your parents, you remember that amazing trip to Morocco that you would not have taken normally. But we yes. said, go take, go to Morocco. It's on us. Like you'll have an amazing experience. You'll remember that and you'll come back with new perspective and new point of view or a fresher point of view. And you'll see a new culture and a new part of the world. And that, that's good. And so people remember those things. And I think that they really appreciate that. I love it. You also do charity allowances. You do yes. fitness allowances. Again, it's just thinking about how do you help these people have better lives? Yes. And we also send, for example, like everybody who works at Basecamp gets a $100 a month CSA share. So like community sponsored agriculture, like a farmer's market share. So we pay for fresh fruits and vegetables in your home, not at work. We're not making you dinner at work. We're not asking you to stay later. We want you to have good food at home too. So it's those kinds of things. And they, these things don't cost that much. But what they do is they send a message. You know, they say, first of all, we want you to be healthy. That's a good thing. But also, like, you don't need to be at, at, at work all day long. It's not all about work. It's about other things in life. Well, the question everyone should ask is, what can you do to help improve your people's lives? And it's yes. not just, it's not, you know, what, care about them for what they can do for you as employee. Care for them what, at, at who they are as people. And that yes. is the difference question. And I think that I love that. All right, Jason. Just like you care about your fans. You care about your fans, not about the two bucks that you can make off a convenience fee. Like 
Yeah, you can make that money, but that just shows you don't really care. I mean, frankly, right? But it's, you it's care. Like, yeah, 100%. That's what it goes yeah. down to. So, we're, Jason, we're going to do our first game, all right? Don't think you're getting away from these, all right? So, this is truth and dare. Which one do you like first? Dare. All right, dare. We're going to do a game that we do here at the stadium, all right? It's with 4,000 fans, but we're just going to do it with you. It's usually 2,000 in one grandstand, 2,000 in another grandstand. Okay. A sing-off. When the song stops, you have to finish those song lyrics. All right. Oh my God. Yes. And the song actually fits you, Jason. It actually fits kind of your whole calm environment. All right. I think you'll know this. It's going back a little old school. Famous band, well known. You ready? You're not ready, but you're no, ready. No, no, I'm listening. I'm listening. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Easy, actually, is what they say, right? <laughs> That's all I know. Okay, take it easy. You nailed yeah, it, my friend, yeah. the Eagles. All right. I thought it was good. Take, right. play, find a place, take your stand, take it easy. And that's what you guys are about the call. Yes. yes. You, you nailed it, my friend. Have you ever sang on a podcast before? Never. Good. I hope yeah. to never do it again. <laughs> I thought you killed it. All right. Now, are you ready for the truth? Yes. All right. What do you think some, one of the best changes that you've made since when you started Basecamp 20 years ago? If you were to say one thing, you know what? This really made a difference. I think one of the best things we did was actually change our name and focus just down to one product. So about six years ago, when we started the business, we were called 37 Signals. About six years ago, we decided to go to change our name to Basecamp. We had, at the time, we had four or five or six different products, depending on how you explain them or what you consider a product. And we had a small team. And we said, you know what? We're not able to do quality work we want to do with the team size that we have on the products that we have. We have too many products. We don't want to hire because we want to stay small. And so what are we going to do? And we decided to, to either spin off other products, to roll them into Basecamp, to kind of consolidate around one thing and rename the company to, to reinforce the fact that that's what we're going to do and focus in just on that. So that was kind of, I think, it was a big, huge change. It was a, a risky change in a sense. But I felt really good about it. I think it was a good move, although we are about to release a second product. So we're about to change our minds again. Um, but it felt good. It, felt, it was the right thing to do at the time. Because had we not done that, I think that we would have we would have had a really hard time. We would have been really frustrated. We would have been stretched really thin. And it, we had to cut back. Yeah. Not on people, but on ambition. And I think that was a really valuable thing to do. I, I love it because it's so similar here. So we had events at our stadium constantly. We had Tap in the Morning Beer Festival, Haunted Stadiums, Food Truck Festivals. We had tons of events. And it was significant money. But we eliminated them last year because we realized it was making us be someone that we didn't love. We had to advertise them. We had to promote them. We had to sell people them. It just made us, ugh, we had to sell all these tickets. So we cut that and we focused on less. Let's make our team the best we can. And now we're somewhere what you're doing. We're teaching what we do. And eventually we'll probably take it on the road. But you know, it's less. It's less. And I think you said the only way you can get more done is to have less to do. And yes. I, I love this that you talk about. You say you know, we need more to don'ts over to do's. How do you break that into your culture? Because I think it's so, so fascinating. Oh my God. Uh, I mean, the first thing you have to do is recognize that you can't do everything you want to do. Like You just have to recognize that. And I think a lot of companies don't recognize that. What they do is they go, we've got a million ideas. We're going to hire a bunch of people. We've got to raise a bunch of money because we've got to do all these ideas. And they just keep doing more things and hire, hire more people and growing and growing, getting bigger, bigger, bigger. And then like, at some point, like, you got to remember that doing something is not where it's is not the end. Like that's just the beginning. You have to maintain the things that you've built and you've got to service the customers. And like so so for us it's recognizing that we simply can't do everything that we want to do. So that's where the big no begins. Yes. And then what we decide to do is we just every six weeks we decide what to do next. We don't plan a year and ahead ahead of time. 
and this may not work for all businesses, but we don't plan a year ahead of time or six months ahead of time or five years ahead of time. I don't know where we're going to be in five years. I don't know where we're going to be in one year. I know what we're doing for about the next six weeks. So that's about being honest with ourselves. And once we decide to do those things, we do those things. We don't change our minds two weeks in and then like pull everyone off something to do something else because some new big idea came up. We go, if a new idea comes up, it's got to wait. So, and then we, six week comes around, we decide what to do next. So we're always working in the six week cadence. Mm. And there's only so much you can do in six weeks. And we only have so many people. And we just, we don't have a backlog of things we must do. Yeah. We have ideas that bubble up and can we consider. And if we don't do them, it doesn't mean they're on, this, on the plate for the next six weeks. It just means like, maybe they're reconsidered, maybe they're not. So it's about this rolling uh, commitment six weeks at a time and also the recognition that we can't do everything we want. We shouldn't try to do everything we want to do. And we shouldn't plan ahead too far because then we're going to get to the point where we're going to do things we actually don't want to do anymore, but we wanted to do before. And I don't want to be in that situation either where you're regretting the decisions that you made a year in the past. So it's just about like having actually a relatively small window and reasonable expectations about what's actually possible. And that's kind of how it... That's the root of it all. And then there's other like small no's along the way, but the big no's are the ones that kind of really create the boundaries for us. Well, again, it just comes, comes back to the same thing over again, looking at like, hey, you don't want to feel like you're on a treadmill and you're just constantly doing more and more and more. You don't, you don't want to feel like that. Enough word. It just guides you in everything you do. And yes. I, I mean, correct me wrong, Jason, it seems like you literally look at everything from your entire work environment. Like, do I like that? Is that frustrating? How do we eliminate that? And in one area I talk about, you know, meetings are toxic. I mean, no, so few people, it's like, oh, another meeting. Like, right. that's a mindset we all have. And your philosophy is like, no, we're not just going to play the game like everyone else plays. So I, again, I just, I want to share this because I'd love to hear some of your ideas on what meetings have become for you. Even, it's remote, but you still, it still forms of meetings. Yeah, we, we get together, uh, video conferencing, whatever. But th- we typically, like, a meeting here is three or fewer people. Like, it's very, very rare that we ever have more than three people discussing something together at the same time. Most discussions that we have are actually written up in Basecamp and we post them to Basecamp and then people can chime in. Maybe the whole company can chime in or seven people, whatever it is, can chime in over time. It might go a day or two or three while we have this discussion. But anytime we need to talk about something immediately, it's three or fewer people. And the idea is that like, that's enough people to make a decision. And anything more than that ends up making it, I think, actually a worse decision or a longer decision or more indecision. Um, so we're just very tight about these things. So, and if we jump in a room together, there's like two or three people max in a room, like if we're talking about something. So what we don't do is get like the big round table where there's seven people around a room and, and go around and get everyone's perspective and opinion because it's just, it's too many perspectives and too many opinions. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're not valid. It's not that. It's just, that it's too many. Just like, you know, if you think about cooking salt on a dish, good. Too much salt, bad. It's not that salt is bad. It's that too much of it is bad. Yeah. You just need the right amounts. And it's true for any ingredient in a dish. You need the right ratios and the right amounts. And for us, I think like, if we get together and make a decision or talk about things, three people is the right in- set of ingredients for us to make those decisions. So that's kind of how we approach that sort of thing. And since we're not typically together, we do have a, an office in Chicago where there's about 12 people who work. But most of the often either write it up in Basecamp or do a video conference like this with Zoom or something like that. And, oh. and we make it quick too. It's not like we set aside an hour. We just, for as long as we need to, it's less, great. It's longer. That's fine too. We don't create these artificial borders and boundaries and we just go and make I, it move on. The, the other recognition is, is that decisions are temporary. So like, look, if, it, if it's the wrong decision, we change it later. I mean, move. there are a few 
that might be more permanent than others. But for the most part, most decisions are not like end games. Like you can change yeah. it if you need to. I, I love it because again, you're thinking about both ways. You know, speed, quick wins. You talk about a lot. You talk about uh, you know always shipping. And again, it's good for your customers, but it's also good for your people. If your people don't feel like they're making progress and they're not having momentum, good luck. So sure, it's part of your DNA. It's like, how do we do this? Because it's best for our people as well. Yeah, agreed. So that's how that's how we approach it. All right, I love uh, just uh, I, I finish a little rapid fire here quickly. Uh, all right. Simple life. I'm obsessed with keeping things simple. So are you. You say, I find it more rewarding and intellectually challenging to make the simpler, the simple simpler rather than the complex simple. Um, what's one area that you are really simplifying your business for your team? Well, I think for us, the thing specifically when I wrote that tweet, what I, what I was kind of referring to for me is, is writing. I love taking a sentence that has seven words and turning it into six and not losing anything, but actually gaining something and then seeing if I can turn it into five. That process to me is such a fun, rewarding, challenging process versus taking like a really complicated... I mean, I enjoy taking a complicated paragraph and turning it into a simpler one. But then the real fun is squeezing a little bit more simplicity out of it, clarity out of it to get it even simpler. So I just find that to be more interesting. Um, but also when it comes to product development, you know, figuring out like, what is this feature really truly about? Like, What is somebody struggling with that we can help them with to eliminate the struggle? And then stop there. Versus, like, with so the thing that's tricky about software, I feel like it's much. I feel like you have a much easier business than we do in this realm. Software has no edges. It just like it can do anything. It can be as big as you want. It can be as small as you want. But there's no natural. Nothing pushing. Nothing pushing back. You have to push back. Like in in your you so said what you get four thousand people, four thousand seats. I don't know what what do you have? Yeah, for every game sold out. So four thousand. Right. So like. You can't sell 6,000 seats. So like you have these natural limits to what you can do and how much you can make and all these things. We don't have that in software, which is why most software becomes really complicated and really complex because you can't actually like see the whole thing. Mm -hmm. if, I, if I pop a drone up in your stadium, I can see the whole... I can see all the people. I can see the edges. I can see what this thing is. Software, you can't see that. And so it's really important for us as a company, at least for our way of doing things, to make sure we're always pushing back on... Ex uh, frivolous expansion because before you know it, it'll get the best of us and we'll make really complicated things. So I like to start with simple and then see like what's the even simpler version of that and will that solve the problem good well enough that we can stop there. So anyway, that, that's kind of how I mentally think about that challenge. I love it. I love it. All right, a few more rapid fire. Uh, marketing minute. What was some of, the, what was some of the best thing you've done to market uh, your brand? I think for us, it's always been the same, which is just sharing everything that we know. You know, I've written about this. We, we try to emulate chefs. Um, here's another cooking example, but chefs write cookbooks, right? In their cookbook is their recipes, which is like the secret to how they make their things. <laughs> They're not afraid of that. They're not afraid of putting those secrets out there. They're not afraid of someone reading their book, opening a restaurant next to theirs and putting them out of business. It's just not how it works. What they're afraid of is no one's going to know who they are. No one's going to know about their restaurant. No one's going to know about their food. And so we feel the same way. We're always sharing everything we know about our business, about the things we've learned, about our point of view. And we're not afraid that someone's going to take this and use it against us. It's just not what it's about. We'd much rather share because we don't really have much of a marketing budget. We, we now do this year because we finally hired someone. But for 20 years, we've just, it's all been sharing based. And so that's, I think, the most valuable thing for us is don't be afraid to share everything you know with anyone who's willing to listen. I love it. We spent like crazy marketing and it ended up us on an airbed and selling two tickets. And now we spend zero marketing. And, and now fortunately, we have every game sell out. And I'll yeah. tell you, when you share who you are, what you stand for, and your point of view, 
you get people that believe what you believe and then they want to be a part of it. And that's a true story. We were using another software beforehand, a chat software. We yep. shifted. We left that. And we were comfortable there to go to Basecamp about two years ago. And it was because of your books. It wasn't because of the platform. We went from paying nothing to paying $100 a month right. because of sharing your beliefs. It works. And I think so many companies are scared of that. And also, from talking about culture, it gets people attracted to want to be a part of you, right? For sure. And by the way, I don't think even com- companies are scared, but I think more importantly, most companies don't actually have a point of view. Their point of view is make more money. That's their point of view. Grow. That's their point of view. Do whatever it takes to get bigger. That's their point of view, right? So you have a point of view. We have a point of view. And yeah, you put that point of view out there and then like you get super fans or you get fans, you get haters, you get all... I'm sure there are people who think what you do is ridiculous, right? Like some baseball fan, that's ridiculous. That's cheapening the game or whatever, right? Like, okay, that's cool. Fine, whatever. So, you know, we hear that too. Like, oh, you guys just make simple to-do lists. You guys, I can do that in a weekend. Okay, that's fine. Like, whatever. But where people know where you stand and who you are and what you say is what you believe, then you, you, there's always enough people out there who, who want that. And you find those people and they become really true fans. And then they become supporters. And then they become, you know, uh, evangelists. And then you just kind of take really good care of them. And they take good care of you. And, and they know what you believe in. And even if they disagree, at least they know that you're being honest about what you believe in, not just saying something to be opportunistic. I love it. All right. Final two here. I just want to go. Yes. What is, if you were to give advice to someone or something that you've experienced and the best way to really stand out in business or in life, what would you say? That's a great question. I mean, kind of what I just said, I think like you've got to know who you are and what you believe in and stick to it. It's not that you can't change your mind. You can, of course, change your mind, but you have to be honest about what, who it is that you are and what it is that you believe. Hmm. And, and have a point of view and not, and not be afraid to share that point of view. I know there are people out there that maybe have a point of view, but they're afraid to share it because they're afraid of what other people might think about it or they're afraid that like, they're going to turn certain customers off or whatever. And like, you have to be able to do that, I think, if you want to stand out. To your point, standing out, you need to... Actually, a better way to put this is you need to be able to create contrast. Contrast is what separates one thing from another. And if you're gray like everyone else, like... You just kind of no one's going to pick pick you know pick out, but you want to be. And I'm not saying like everything's black or white, but you want to you want to be less gray. Let's say you you want to kind of go to a little bit of the edge and do something different and be original, and that's how you stand out by creating that contrast. But if you just look to the leaders and go, I'm going to do what they're doing because it's working. You we don't need another one of you if if it's already working for someone else. Like you want to do something different. I love it. First, you got to share your differences and then share how you make a difference. And you've shared your differences in your books. And it's like, wow, I align with that. That's so great. All right. Yeah. This is definitely not rapid fire. I just want to finish this. I'm very curious. In the end of my book, Find Your Yellow Tux, I finish with, you know, how do you want to be remembered? And I'm fascinated with you, Jason, and how you want to be remembered. Oh, I don't know. I would probably say like, I'd like to be remembered as somebody who's, who's fair. Like, I, I want to be fair. I want to be fair to everybody, to everything that I can be. And that's a sliding scale, of course, but I, I, that would be nice. That would be nice. Let's just say that. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. you're doing it, my friend. Seriously, Thanks. absolutely appreciate you being on the show. Love connecting. You've been a big inspiration and you got to get the books. They're fascinating. I'm sure you have more books in the future. You have a lot going on, but rework and you don't have to be... Wait, don't have to be crazy. Yeah. It doesn't have to be crazy at work. There's so many... All right. It doesn't have to be crazy at work. That's the one. All right, that one. And uh, got the new software coming out. You got the email, hey, right, coming out? Hey, H-E-Y.com, yep. H-E-Y.com, How else can people find out more from you? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter. So at Jason Freed, F-R-I-E-D. We have a podcast that talks a lot about this stuff, rework.fm. And yeah, check out hey, H-E-Y.com. 
I don't know when this is going to air, but like that's products coming out in April of 2020. So we're really excited about that. Something we've been working on for a good year plus and uh, looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably it. Uh, Thanks so much for making an impact, my friend. Hey, Jesse, this is wonderful. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.